Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Hello and welcome on this glorious Monday, December 5th. I'm Dave Denholm with you for the next hour here on ESPN LA. And I got to tell you, I needed a couple of days to think about it. And I'm glad we, uh, I'm actually glad I didn't do a show over the weekend because who knows what I might have said about the United States and their performance against the Netherlands Saturday morning, the first of the knockout games. Now we'll get to the uh, knockout games of today. And of course, uh, you know, the previous knockout games are rolling along. But if you like chalk, you're loving these knockout games, right? All the favorites moving on into the quarterfinals here. And the first one was the U.S. taking on Netherlands. And we'll get to a little bit more of this later in the show as well. But my initial thoughts were that was a the bad time to have your bad defensive performance, right? Now, you might not have gotten out of the group stage if you didn't have a great defensive performance like the U.S. did. You might not have even made it to the round of 16. But it was a tough day to basically give up three good chances to the Netherlands and they buried everyone because they were so easy. Such easy chances to give up to the Netherlands. But really, the game turned on its head in the first few minutes when uh, Christian Pulisic found himself onside and free after a deflected ball, and Andres Snapper just made a big save. That was it. That was the game, in my estimation. If the United States scores there on the front foot, everything changes. But Knoppert made a great save. And, you know, it became a theme of these knockout games, if you really think about it. Because the Netherlands... Yeah, they looked cool and complete and, you know, really took it to the U.S., but it really wasn't like that when you look at the statistics and all the way the game went. It was just the Netherlands were absolutely clinical, and that's what all the good teams have done. And, again, some of these good teams, you know, certainly dominating score lines on some of these games, but what has happened in many of them, if you really look back, and I've watched every minute, and it's the same thing over and over again. The U.S. flying out of the gate. Get that chance for Pulisic in the first few minutes. Fifth minute, I think it was. Big save. And then you pay five minutes later when Memphis Depay. Not going to miss from there. Right? Most of these knockout games have gone that way where the a team is kind of having a great start. Poland was flying early in that game against France. Could not get the goal. Senegal had a couple of chances. Oh, Really good play early in that match. They were taking it to England. But Jordan Pickford made a brilliant save. Kept it nil-nil. And when England got their chances, boom, back of the net. Right? And that's what, you know, Argentina, a couple of chances in that match, put it away, boom, you do. Now, that was a tough game. I mean, really, uh, full credit to Australia for making it closer maybe than, really, than it was in the long run. But they did battle, and they had a shot late. And it's never easy. Yes, the, the chalk is going through, by and large. But really, the only dramatically easy ones were England after they got the third goal by Saka in the second half, although the Harry Kane goal kind of looked very eerily similar to our game with the Netherlands. That late first-half goal was a killer. And France was in control, but Poland had their chances early. And they couldn't capitalize. France gets their chances. In the back of the net they go, right? Brazil. Comes out flying. Only had like, I think, three shots on goal in the first half. Three goals when they had three shots. They might have only had four shots in the first half and put all four from the back in that. Then they cruise 4-1 over South Korea. Now, the Japan-Croatia game was a bit of an upset for me. I know Croatia was a semifinalist last tournament, and they're very good. 
But I thought Japan had a better tournament, and I thought they were the better team. Just couldn't get it done, and credit to Croatia, they're hard to score on. Vardial is just a great defender. Their goalkeeper, Lovakovic, was amazing, and then he saves three PKs. I mean, just dominance. But that's what I saw, starting with the U.S., and really going on all, all the way for these first three days of knockout games. I know we have one more tomorrow, the round of 16, with two games. But it's just the better teams really are clinical. They don't need a lot of chances. They need one, and it's 1-0. And then you're, burying, you know, you're digging yourself out of a hole. That's why they're going to be on the, in the, the final eight. And there are hierarchies, right, that you notice there are now. You can see them. The United States is a top 15 team in the world, top 20 at, at least. Whenever we go to the World Cup, we better get out of our group, and usually we do. That's our ceiling, though. Maybe on any given day you're a top 12 team if you're playing really well. We don't have those strikers. I told you when we were talking about the Netherlands game on Friday previewing it. I felt like the Netherlands would win because the U.S. just can't create enough chances and therefore finish enough chances. And even Christian Pulisic on the first five minutes of the game, you got to bury that. It's a gift. Now, again, you're not going to rip the guy too hard. He's turning around. It's, it's, you know, it's real quick. It's just... Boom, boom. You got to shoot it. He's just got to put it on frame. And Neuper Neuper made a great save. And and, and that's fine. But you have to bury that when you're a team like the U.S., right? We're not getting a ton of chances, not getting a ton of good finishes. And, you know, Jesus Ferreira getting a lot of grief. And rightfully so. He didn't play well. Here's the thing. You started three different nines. None of them played well. There has to be some kind of correlation there, doesn't there? The system it really wasn't working for the nines. Now, okay, if you have Olivier Giroud up there, maybe we'll be better off. Yes, of course, right? If you had a true, if Robert Lewandowski was an American, we might win this whole stinking thing. But I don't think the system was really geared toward making any of these number lines look good. And then Louis Van Hall with a master class just choking the U.S. offense at the root. I mean, just totally stopping what you know he thought we could do what best. And that was he just took it. He just took it to us. And pumped the ball outside where the weaknesses were for the American defense. Anthony Robinson and Sergino Jess because they want to get forward. Very good offensive players. And Robinson had a good tournament ish. You know, people like to gush over some of these guys. Oh, he plays for this team. Oh, he's you know, Robinson did all right. A lot of his passes were awful. Frankly, he made a lot of good plays, but a lot of his passes were garbage. Dest. Set up one goal, and a lot of his other passes were not good enough, right? And they're, and they're liabilities defensively. And then you got two center backs back there that are not the fleetest of foot. Although Tim Ream and, and Walker Zimmerman really wasn't their fault in this game. That's, you know, nothing they could do on a lot of just these cutbacks. But where are, where's the back end defending? I mean, Destin, Robinson, just ugh, embarrassing. So we'll talk a lot more about that later in the show. Great game earlier in the day. Now, the penalties for Japan, a lot of people say, well, they're terrible penalties. Yes. On one level, yes. It's funny, though. If Levakovic guesses the wrong way, right, they're, all, they're scoring. You know what I mean? Like, that's, what, that's the crazy thing about penalties. Oh, that's a terrible PK. Well, if the keeper guesses right, it was, yes, because it wasn't well struck, per se. You should still be able to score. I think the key, a lot of it nowadays, if you notice, a lot of the sentiment for PK takers is to keep it low and hard. 
Okay? But when you're into PKs, you just played 120 minutes running your guts out. So the hard part is kicking it hard. <laughs> so they still keep it low. If the keeper guesses right, it's a save then. You know, it's, it's 50-50 then. And essentially, PKs are right around 80% or should be. But if you're, if you're just low and hard, you don't want to miss wide, right? So you're giving yourself a little bit of a – the key to me is blasted shoulder high of the keeper when he's standing. So it's underneath the bar. When he's 6'3", six, 6'4", six, shoulder high is right around, you know, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, 6' something. Blast it like hard but up off the ground and pick a side because now a keeper guesses he's 50-50. Like Lavakovic made three good saves. He just guessed right three times. If he guessed wrong, those were all rolling into the back of the net. So they weren't like the worst PKs ever. They were good saves, and he guessed right. And Lavakovic deserves credit. Croatia advances. They weren't the better team on the day. Not really. I don't know that Japan was so much better either. It was a very good, well-played game. Both teams went as far as they could. Neither one of them was going to score against the other in extra time. It just was that was going to PKs. And for all the people, one of the most frustrating things about the World Cup, in, me, in my estimation, and I think you probably feel the same way, is people who have no clue that are now watching after every four years, and they come up with the dumbest things. Get rid of the offside. Shut up. Right? Oh, don't have offside in the offensive half of the field. What? Shut up. Oh, PKs, they're awful. You can't. Okay, so now Croatia has to go play in a few days. You want them to play 400 minutes running around with Japan before somebody scores? You can't do it. It's stupid. Both teams have 30 minutes to go score. And that's what I always try to tell people. Like, if you're if you're a team going into extra time, you got to realize that you just have to go you just got to go all out to score. I mean that's it. Like you can't you can't mess around. Because bottom line is you don't want to leave it to PKs because anything can happen. And yeah, sometimes it works out, LAFC go champs, and sometimes it doesn't. And it's so painful, right? It's just the worst way to go out of tournament because you really didn't lose. You really did not lose. Yeah, you lost in PKs, but you didn't lose. That's a tie game, and it hurts. Oh, it hurts so bad. But full credit to Croatia. They're just hard to beat. They're going to be a tough out. They're a difficult team to play against, and they make it difficult, and they've got talent. They didn't really show me much offensively other than running through Canada, who kind of like wilted that game. Canada had their Netherlands-U.S. game, only it was in the group stage against Croatia, where Croatia had their chances and just buried the four chains, you know, just buried them. Brazil, Korea, uh, what a game by Brazil. I mean, Chiche just has this team just absolutely rolling. It was a bloodbath early, but again, it was like four chances, four goals. <laughs> I mean, that's what great teams do. Yeah, they were excellent setup, no question. But, I mean, they just tore through, and when they tear through you, they make sure they make you pay. That's why they're Brazil. The U.S. goes tearing through the Netherlands defensively, and we still don't know how to finish a playoff, what pass to correctly play, where to kick that said pass to make sure the defense is just ripped to shreds, how to tap home a goal every now and then. We can do it against El Salvador, but that's only going to get you so far. And that's the difference. The teams that are moving on, clinical, 
That is the word. And they're doing it time and time again. That's how you win. And that's why there's a hierarchy. You can get out of your group like the U.S. because you're about a top 15 team in the world. Just like Japan, just like South Korea, just like all these other teams that are losing in this knockout stage. Senegal, very good team. But those next teams are top eight. And guess what? There's a hierarchy up there when we see France and Argentina and Brazil play. So we'll talk more about that. How do you get to that next level? Speaking of next level, Sebastian Salazar, ESPN and Football Americas coming up next. Road to the Cup, Dave Denholm on ESPN LA. It's Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Dave Denholm with you each and every Monday through Friday here during the World Cup. And we're joined again by our good friend from ESPN. And he's the uh, host of Football Americas with uh, Hercules Gomez, one of the best shows on ESPN Plus, on television, frankly, Sebastian Salazar. Seb, thanks again for joining us. Let's talk first and foremost about these knockout stages, Seb. The chalk is doing very well. It just seems like clinical finishing takes you. Other teams can battle, Seb, but you've got to have people who can put the ball in the back of the net with your chances. Yeah, it's been impressive just how far the gap has been between the teams that finish first in their group and the teams that are finishing second. I think the one game that kind of goes against yeah. that was Argentina against Australia. And even that game, right, at 70 minutes when Argentina's up 2 nothing, there's very little sense that Australia's going to get back in the game. And they really only do because of a deflected shot, a wildly deflected shot. And then it's, it's chaos, right? The last 20 minutes, Australia's throwing everything forward. And if not for a big Dibu Martinez save, uh, we might have had indeed our, our first upset there. So I think the other exception, of course, is Japan, but maybe a lot of people didn't see Japan winning their group and were surprised to see them as, as the top team to come out. So I, I have been surprised that, that the second-place teams have not at least made things a little bit competitive, but I think what that tells us is something you know coming into the World Cup. There are the haves and there are the have-nots in world football. The powers are still the powers, and it is very, very difficult to break into that top 10, top eight, you know, that's reserved for the blue blood. And I think we can look at it also from an American perspective and see the gap between USA and Netherlands. I mean, to me, it's so evident in that game. And this is a Dutch side that is not the best Dutch side of recent years, right? If we look back at some of the World Cups, 2010, they make the final 2014 third place. And even when they're in a so-called down generation, the talent that they can put out on the field compared to an up-and-comer, compared to that field between 9 and 16 or between 10 and 20, is just a huge gap. And I think that's, that's a reality that a lot of times we want to say that that gap is closing. But when you actually get to the World Cup, when you actually get to that brass tax time, the teams that are supposed to go through often do. Uh, you're absolutely right. We're talking with Sebastian Salazar from ESPN and the host of Football Americas. Seb, we do have a couple of games tomorrow, of course. Morocco, whose defense is just incredible. Certainly an underdog against Spain. Portugal, Switzerland might be the, the real toss-up of this entire round of 16. I don't think Switzerland is an underdog to too many teams. What do you see out of these two matchups tomorrow? So I was really high, Dave, on Spain going into this tournament. I, I really thought that it was a team based on what they showed me at the last European Championship that was capable of making a deep run while playing attractive football. The first game, the big question that you have about Spain is, it's who's going to finish off all those movements, 
all that ball dominance, all that possession. Luis Enrique goes without a number nine, and they score seven. And then against Germany, the guy who's their option at number nine, Alvaro Morata, scores. So you think to yourself, all right, they've proven to me exactly who they are, and they've proven the one doubt I had about them coming in is, is not really a doubt anymore. And then they just drop a total egg against Japan. I think, you know, the way that the bracket breaks down, we might end up looking this at kind of like an England situation in 2018 where you maybe don't end the group phase particularly strong, but it ends up putting you on a favorable side of the bracket. Now, Morocco's a very good team, right? They got through a group that a lot of us looked at from a CONCACAF Canada perspective. We said, all right, man, if there's a team of the three, Croatia, Belgium, Morocco, the Canada's got a shot to beat, um, it's Morocco. Like, obviously, that's not how it worked out, and Canada had a terrible tournament. But for me, Morocco winning that group, as good as they were, it's also a reflection of, one, Belgium was terrible in this tournament. And Croatia, like, let's be honest about what Croatia is. They're a team that advances but does not win. And I'm not just saying that about this tournament. You can look back at, you know, the last Euros. They weren't particularly inspiring in the group phase. And so I think Morocco benefits from a group we thought would be tough, but then turned out not to be that way. And I think Spain, for me, is still the favorite here. However, you know, we talk about all the classicos that we're going to have, the potential kind of rivalry matchup. We don't think of Morocco and Spain as a rivalry so much because they play in different confederations. They're on different continents. They effectively share a border, right? Like there is a lot of history between these two countries. And so this for me is one of those round of 16 games that, you know, is really a, a coin toss in that regard. I think anytime it's a classico, anytime there's that extra kind of rivalry feel to it, you really don't know what you're going to get. I'm still thinking Spain is the favorite there. And, and if I had to put my money on somebody, I'd put it on Spain. But I would not have put Morocco to even get out of the group and they won it. So you have to give them the respect that they've earned so far in this tournament. Yeah, I love that. Good stuff. Talking with Sebastian Salazar. Let's turn our gaze, Seb, now to the United States. Disappointing way to go out. I thought they got about as far as they need to in terms of just expectation of like, okay, this is what we should do. So it wasn't like a failure of a tournament, but it wasn't a great success either. One win in four matches. Uh, I think you got to move on from Greg Berhalter immediately, shake his hand, give him his final paycheck. Thank you. You did a pretty good job, and it's time to move on. What is your assessment of the U.S. coming out of this tournament? I love that you point out the results because the bottom line, Dave, you're right. International football, result-oriented business, and if we just cold look at the results here, they won one of four games. But I don't think we can do that absent the context of, of where this program was, right? Missing a World Cup, having to totally rejuvenate the roster. And while the results on paper, when you say them that, that way, one out of four, don't sound that great, we have to also acknowledge the performance from this group. And if I look at the group phase specifically, I can see five of six halves where the U.S. were clearly the better team. Both against Iran, with the exception of the last 20 minutes, but for me, there's a huge asterisk there. Iran has to score, so they're just dumping everything at you. You are not going to look the better team in that situation. The second half against Wales, which 
while it's not a very complicated tactical adjustment, let's give Wales their credit. They're seeing the qualified for the World Cup out of UEFA, and their manager made a big change at the half, and the USA young team struggled to adjust to that change. But outside of that, they looked really good, I think, and they looked probably their best against a team that right now is into the quarterfinals and has put up 12 goals in four games, and the only game they didn't score in was against the United States. Of course, I'm talking about England. So for me, when we talk about the performance, I think the performance ranks ahead of the result. But as far as Greg Berhalter is concerned, I agree with you that I don't think he's the guy to take them to the next level because not only will this group of players be entering their prime at the next World Cup, the next World Cup will be at home. So the expectations will be higher. They should be higher. If we set the bar around to 16 this time, we'll set it at quarterfinals for the next time and and maybe even more uh, at home. I don't know that Greg Berhalter right now has a tactical now, and I think we saw that in the game against Netherlands, to compete against the very best. That said, you have to give him a lot of credit for relaunching this program, the work that he's done with dual nationals. And I'll tell you this from a Mexico perspective, because you know I follow both teams. Sometimes you, you long for the thing you had. Now everybody in Mexico is crashing Tata Martino. They long for Juan Carlos Osorio, who they used to kill for his rotaciones. Now they wish they could have Juan Carlos Osorio and the results and the success that he brought them. Okay? So careful what you wish for, right? They, if, from a U.S. soccer perspective, the, the Federation, they have to nail this higher. And you can't move on from Greg Berhalter unless you've got a very good, solid choice moving forward. So it, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. You can't move on from a, a good, solid manager unless you know you're going to definitely improve that spot. And I think Greg Berhalter has proven, not just in this World Cup, but in the qualification campaign, that he's solid. He's solid. He's not going to outmanage Louis Van Gaal, but he's solid. And, and don't, don't take that for granted because Mexico went out with a big expenditure, went and got Tata Martino, paid him double what they were playing, Juan Carlos Osorio, and they had the worst World Cup of the modern era. Very fair points. Very fair argument from Sebastian Salazar. That's why we love to talk about him and pick his brain. He is uh, in Qatar covering the World Cup, ESPN, and Football Americas. Check out that show each and every day as well. Seb, as always, thanks so much for taking the time. Great stuff. We really appreciate it. Dave, as always, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Sebastian Salazar, ESPN and Football Americas, right here on Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. It's Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Dave Denholm with you every Monday through Friday. Hello. Welcome. And now i got to look back a little bit. Now we're going to really break down the United States going forward. Okay, We know the U.S. gets to the round of 16. Whenever they get to the World Cup, they're a pretty good bet lately to get to the round of 16. Doesn't happen every time. But this is a top 15 to 20 team in the world. And regardless of what group the U.S. is in, they generally have a good chance to get to the round of 16. Well, I don't want to become Mexico. No disrespect to El Tri. I don't want to just get to the round of 16, right, and then not be able to get further. Now, I know the U.S. has able, been able to do that once against El Tree. So one of us was going to get there in 2002, but it just so happened the U.S. wins that game, Tosa Cero. But it's time to, like, really, like, where do you go from here? We talked about it with El Tree last week after their defeat in the group stage. 
Canada, again, the trajectory going up. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the grades real quick for CONCACAF teams. And I want to bring in my producer, Mario Reese. Mario, I don't know if you'll agree with these, but here's my – I'm going to give a grade for each team and tell you why real quick for CONCACAF, right? Okay, let's hear it. Because everybody says CONCACAF failed in this tournament. Pretty much, yeah. yeah, It was a a bad tournament overall, I would say. Now, Canada, I cannot give an F despite losing all three games just because of what they did to get here and how what it means to them. And they actually have some talent, but I got to give them a D plus. I agree with that. So there's a little bit, you know, it's not a failing grade. Definitely a disappointment. Capital D. They lost all three matches. Yeah. Yes, sir. D plus as in disappointment with some positives. So D plus, that's perfect. (laughs) Um, Costa Rica. I got to give them a C plus. Now this sounds weird. They lost seven nil, but then they were in it. In the second half of a game against Germany in a very tough group, they actually were going through for about 90 seconds. That's a C plus. I'm sorry. After losing 7-0 in your first match, you go beat Japan. Oh, yeah. And when you got Kaylor Navas in net, I mean, he stood on his head a couple times to keep them alive, you know? Yeah. No question. But, you know, they scored a couple. You know, I mean, you beat Japan. Japan was pretty much just a coin flip away from the you know quarterfinals here. I mean, Croatia and Japan, there was nothing in them or between them that was any different, that's a good win. And you nearly got out of that group somehow. I mean, with two wins, that would have been ridiculous. So fell apart in the end. Can't say it's a great grade for Costa Rica. They didn't make it out of the group, but a C plus because I I really – I didn't expect much either. You know, maybe I'm grading on a scale because I didn't think Costa Rica was that good. You know what I'm saying? So um, Mexico, I give a C minus. That's very kind of you. they were also getting Very kind of you, Dave. It's kind, but it wasn't – I mean, they got four points. I mean, as the group played out, it looked horrific, but they were pretty close to qualifying out of the group, which is really what you're – the first step, right? I mean, not that it's the end-all, be-all, but you got to get out of your group to win the World Cup. So I would give them a D minus for me, but D plus uh, well, after they played that uh, that second half there, that last game. Fair enough. Look, see, I felt D was a little harsh, D plus a little harsh, so I went C minus. But I understand. I, I'm sure most L Tree fans would say I'm I'm crazy for even giving them a C minus. They almost made it out. One more goal. I'm not saying they deserved it. They deserve to go home. They got exactly what they deserved. They okay. just exactly what everybody thought yeah. they would do. You know, they, C- they didn't have then. much. There wasn't much was, hope. Was for a lot this expected team. of this team, Mario? No, I mean, really? not at all. No. C minus. You want to throw him a D plus? I can't D+. argue. I can't yes. argue with that. Yeah, I mean, it's not. I'm an easy grader. Just ask the kids I used to teach in college occasionally. Yeah, I'm an <laughs> easy grade. For the U.S., I give it a B, a solid B. I don't. I can't go B plus because I think they just had such a bad defensive game against the Netherlands, which is easy goals given up. And another reason I can't give them a B plus is another thing I want to talk about: where the U.S. goes from here. First and foremost, I got to ask. How are 24-year-olds gassed after 30 minutes against the Netherlands? I know the tournament's long, blah, 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 blah. They're 24 years old. They're 23. They're 21. They're 25. You can run all year, for crying out loud. How are they gassed in the biggest game of their lives about 30 minutes in? They look like they're about done. How is that possible? Uh, Oh, they're playing at such a high level. Really? That's what they do. They play their heart out, Dave, in every match. But like you're saying, they need to recover quicker. But but yeah, they did leave it all out on the field. I could tell that. Sure, and, and as well you should. Yeah. It's the World Cup. But you should be ready for the next game. That is true. Argentina had Argentina had two days rest 
for that game with Australia. Two, not three. One less than we did. Two days rest. And Australia might have actually had the same. I don't, I mean, now that I'm saying it, and it didn't look like Australia was gassed after 30 minutes. Neither, nor was Australia, or um, I'm sorry, Argentina. Netherlands didn't look tired after 30 minutes. Now, I know they let us kind of come at them. That was part of Louis van Hall's master plan. I get it. But 30 minutes? Really? Not good. Can't happen. Where does the U.S. go from here managerial-wise? Well, if it was me, and I was Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride and all the guys responsible for this team, Greg Berhalter would no longer be the coach. Now, let me pump the brakes here. I'm a sports talk radio host at heart, so the hyperbole flows, or I like to say it in a dramatic way. I just don't think guys need to last more than four years as a manager. And I think Greg Berhalter did a perfectly fine job. Got us out of the group. Got uh, got us about as far as you would expect. I think Hercules Gomez, our good buddy here on the show, and in Football America's, uh, our Seb Salazar's co-host, kind of said it right. You know, it's like, that's what you expect. Like, you're, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but it's, we got to where exactly where we're supposed to, really. Get out of a group that is, is very get-outable. <laughs> but, but first of all, I don't want to have a coach for more than four years. And second of all, we've gone as far as you can with Greg Berhalter's system, clearly. Didn't develop a striker. Didn't develop a, a clear number nine guy who's going to be the guy. Now, again, he can point to and say, we don't have a Memphis Depay. Figure it out. I don't want to hear it. You know, and you tried three different guys. And clearly, none of them worked. Everybody's going to say, well, Jesus Ferreira stunk. So did Haji Wright, and so did Josh Sargent, really, as a number nine. They all stunk. They did nothing. I know Haji Wright put in some miracle finish when he, you know, the game against the Netherlands. Okay, try it again. Try it today. <laughs> in other words, that ain't going to ever happen again. And he was fine in that game. He was not great. But, at least, I mean, he hustled more in the Netherlands game. I'll give him that when he came in as a sub. But nobody was any good up front for the U.S. So it's clear that falls on your manager. Sorry. Yeah, does he have Neymar up front? No, of course not. Well, that's another thing we have to do from here. we got to develop some strikers in America much better. Because quite frankly, if we had Brian McBride in his prime up there, we probably would have gone a long way in this tournament. (laughs) Right? And he was good. I'm not trying to say, oh, just Brian. I mean, he was a good player. That's my point. If we had Josie Altador in his prime, we probably would have gone a lot farther in this tournament. We needed somebody. So we can't allow a four-year cycle to go without having that guy, whoever he is. Now, injuries happen. If something happens before a tournament, your main it happens. I mean, that's unfortunate. But that cannot happen again to be this woefully unprepared up front. Which was it? Was it the strikers or was it the style of play? And that's my point. We can't allow Greg Berhalter to continue because we don't know for sure. Maybe we don't just, maybe these guys really aren't very good up front. Any of them. Maybe they're really not worthy. But we don't know that exactly. So get rid of the manager. Then you find out, right? Because I don't want to go another four years and host a World Cup where we're like, gee, we scored two goals in a group stage and we... We got we lucked one in when we were losing three nil against you know or two nil against like you can't that can't be we got to be dangerous so we can't afford to well is it is it Burhalter or is it the play no we know we can get rid of the manager time to move on again didn't do a terrible job won us some trophies beat Mexico consistently got us out of the group stage 
nice work, pat on the back, here's your severance check, you're done. If I was the U.S. Federation, there's not even a question he's out of a job. From all the things I outlined, what is the point? Why would you keep him? We got exactly where we always get, like we always expect. You move on. Absolutely. We'll talk more about some individual players for the U.S. now that the tournament is done. 2026, is that the cup we make a serious run? One of these, we're going to have to do it, right? If you're not going to do it at home, then when are you? (laughs) I mean, this has to be. I mean, there's pressure on 2026 right now for the U.S. in my mind. Right now. And that's another reason why you better get the right manager in as soon as you can. If you feel it's the right manager, if you want to wait a little bit to get the exact right manager, you got a little time. I'm not, but Burhalter, goodbye, Greg. You're done. Don't waste any more time worrying about him for the next cycle. You're done. And that's just world football. He knows it. He's going to move. He probably want to move on anyway, realistically. Because it's not like he went to the, you know, semis and we're just knocking on the door. Like we, we lost in PKs to Brazil in the semifinals and they went on to win the final like 4 0 and buff. We would have only beaten. No, we still got a ways to go. So it's not going to happen with Greg Burhalter in my estimation. Again, didn't do a terrible job. Time to go. Time for me to go. We got the uh, stoppage time coming up. Still to come, we'll talk about tomorrow's knockout stages as well. I'm Dave Denholm. This is Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup continues here on ESPN LA every Monday through Friday. If you miss anything, like the interview earlier with Sebastian Salazar or any of our conversations, you want to go back and listen to just me talk about this stuff. If you miss any of the show, you can go podcast all our episodes wherever you pod or, more importantly, at ESPN LA, the app, ESPN LA app, great app. Just click on the little Road to the Cup button there. It's really well done. It's beautiful. It's easy. And they're all they're all the past episodes. We just graded the CONCACAF teams in the last segment as well. Uh, real quick, the U.S. gets a B. And uh, I would love to move on with from Greg Berhalter. But I wanted to say individual grades, some players for the U.S. Some players certainly stood out. But the problem becomes when you get – you kind of just get it handed to you by the Netherlands – Nobody played particularly well in that game, and it kind of just drags down everything, right? Like, it's it's so defeating in a sense that you really weren't in that game. Like, if you, if Pulisic scores in the fifth minute, whew, game on, right? It doesn't mean you would have won. No certainty that Louis Van Hall would have just panicked by any means. He's a great manager. He probably would have kept doing the same thing. And the Netherlands probably would have got those similar chances and probably would have buried them like they did because they're clinical, and that's the word of the World Cup, clinical. Because a lot of these teams, there's not much difference in terms of running around until you get to the final third, right? A lot of Last I checked, everybody's a pro soccer player that's at the World Cup. They make their living as a professional, and they do it at a very high level. Everyone, right? All these teams can play. It's the clinical portion in the final third, and that's where the individual grades, the U.S. just takes a, a blow. You know, I always see these grades, Mario. I always see guys giving out grades, men and women who write these columns, right? And a team will lose 3-0. Somehow everybody's getting a 6 or a 7 out of 10. It's like, what? I graded the first half. I sent it out on Twitter after the first half of that Netherlands game. 2-0 when you give up that... Tim Weah had the best grade. He had a five. Everybody else was a three or a two. I mean, why? how could you give anybody a six or a seven after that mess? Second half was a little bit better, certainly, and we were definitely, you know, 
on the front foot a little bit more and really had a chance to get back into it. We got back into it with the goal, but just never enough. So individual grades for the whole tournament, I don't think anybody had an outstanding tournament by any means. Just the way it ended. Too soon. I mean, there were mistakes. I think guys had good games. And then they had, you know, Tyler Adams doesn't track back Memphis Depay. It's just too big of an error in a knockout game. I know it's early. It's only one goal. Sorry, you can't do that. So Gino Dest leaves his man wide open for the, like, what are you doing for that goal? Right before half. The killer, the backbreaker. That was the backbreaker. Anthony, Anthony Robinson gets just uh, loses a man like that? How do you do that when you're right back in a game at 2-1? I thought Tim Ream and him played in Europe together. I thought it was the, the magical European combination of Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson. They're teammates, and they lose all sense of you know communication and a crew. T- I mean, sorry, not a good tournament. I like Matt Turner's shot-stopping and goal, but Boy, does he look shaky at times with his feet, the ball in his feet, doesn't he? He looks like he's kind of chicken with his head caught off back there sometimes. Great shot stopper, but ugh, eeks. Some of the crosses coming in, I mean, there's room for improvement. You know, everybody always says, it's so funny, and every country does it. It's not just the U.S., but already people are like, who's going to be on the 2026 roster, right? And look out, we got to look at all these guys. We still are going to be so young. Let's hope a lot of them get beat out by other guys who are better than them. How about that, Right? I like Weston McKenney. I think he's a good player. Let's hope we got a guy who's far superior to Weston McKenney. And maybe Weston's not even on the final 26. That's what we hope, right? I mean, Tyler Adams is a fabulous player. He might be just too good to keep off the next roster. Maybe. But let's hope we find, you know, N'Golo Conte somewhere in America before then. And maybe Tyler Adams isn't even close to being good enough. That's what we really... I hope Christian Pulisic is the 26th best player in America. By 2026. That's what we really should be shooting for. Mario? Yeah. If you're a 16, 17-year-old who wears the number nine right now at your your team, <laughs> you have a chance. Trust me. You better be going all out for that 2026 team because uh, that spot is find open. Find somebody who can teach you how to play the position in America. Yes. Apparently, I don't know what the coaching's doing, but it's harder than we think. I know that. It is hard. A lot of great teams are looking for a number nine. Don't get me wrong. There was just no answer right. in this World Cup for yeah. in that position right yeah, there. Yeah, there really wasn't. But, you know, you, you get my point. Like, when everybody's like, oh, 2026, we got a few spots available. Let's hope we got every spot available. Let's hope Christian Pulisic is like, oh, yeah, I guess he's still be on the roster. It's not going to happen. He's a great player. You, you get my point, though. I'm Again, I'm exaggerating to the point, but everybody's always like, well, we got maybe one or two spots that will be open. It really? I hope Matt Turner's the sixth best American keeper by 2026. Then we'll be in good shape. Yeah, championship teams have depth in every single position, and that's what we exactly. need. Now, hear, hear me out, though, Mario. This tournament, and I talked a little bit about it, there were three teams that won both their first games, and they were already through. Spain, Brazil, Portugal. They rotated nine players each. From, for their final match in the group stage. Now, those are, I mean, fabulous players, mind you. I mean, Brazil, had, they all lost. They all lost with those nine new players. Now, again, it, somewhat anecdotal. It's only three matches, but it goes to show you, man. I know there's depth. I know those guys are good. They're great players. But it's still not like you're a starter in another. I mean, it's tough. I mean. It's very difficult. Yeah, I mean. Would you say that Mexico is 26 players deep? No. Definitely not. The, U- 
The U.S. is not, clearly. We don't even have a number nine. Right? There's always holes unless you're, again, you're going to be like a couple of European teams, Brazil, Argentina, you know, usually they're deep enough. Not even, not even them every time. I mean, Brazil hasn't won a World Cup in decades. It's not easy. As deep as they're always supposed to be. So we got a ways to go. And individual grades are all great, but some guys, you know, I mean, I thought we had a pretty good tournament. I thought we had a B. I'd give a B to everybody, frankly. Just about everybody on the team deserves a nice little grade, good passing grade, not a bad tournament. You got where we expected you to, so it was not a failure in any way. But got to start winning. <laughs> got to start winning these knockout stage games and taking it. The good news is we kind of did take it to the Netherlands. It, again, it's you know weird to say because most people who don't know much about the sport would just fire back at you like three to one. You got crushed. Okay. I understand where you're coming from. You don't quite get it, what I'm saying. We took it to the Netherlands in a lot of ways. And we did, really did to every team we played, including a darn good England team, as it turns out. Nobody can stop England except for us. So there's a lot to build on, no question. But it's still not like, yeah, let's throw a parade. We got out of the group, okay. Thanks, Greg. Here's your final paycheck. You're fired. And again, not trying to be rude to Greg Berhalter. He should get a job somewhere. He's a good manager. He did well. He did perfectly fine. Did a good job. Nothing, you know, eh, it's not really worth keeping around for four years to, just in case he only can get this far with this system. You got to figure it out. You got to go somewhere else. You might fail. So be it. I pretty much know this is where Greg Berhalter will take you, right? That's it. That's enough. I don't need any more of that. Tomorrow's matches. Before we get to stoppage time, Morocco, Spain, Portugal, Switzerland. Morocco is kind of the last great hope of upsets, and of course they have to play Spain. <laughs> Good luck with that, although Morocco's defense just tough as nails. If Spain doesn't take the few chances they're going to get, because they're not going to run through Morocco like they have, you know, they ran through Costa Rica. If Spain doesn't take the couple of chances they might get against Morocco, this one could be trouble. And then Portugal-Switzerland, to me, is a coin flip. It really is. Good teams. Very good teams. Two very tough teams to beat. So that one may be going to PKs, too. I hate to say it, but very interesting matches. Time now with the great Mario Rees to bring back stoppage time. What's up, Mario? Dave, man, this World Cup is turning into a tournament of just the superstars. We have, like, yeah. all the world-class top players left in the tournament still. We got Ronaldo, uh, Neymar, Classy. Messi, yeah. Clinical, Harry Kane, right? Mbappe. Yeah. It's clinical. Those are the great players because uh, for a reason, they finish, right? So which one is the best player right now still in Qatar in your eyes, Dave? Because me, I'm going to go with Mbappe. I think he's probably going to win the golden boot. Mm. Uh, he's even got a couple assists. I mean, oh, great player. he's just in top form. Yeah, great player right now. Here's the way I look at this. Uh, the, the, the greatest footballer at the World Cup is Lionel Messi. He's still the best player for me in the world. And he's proving it with Argentina, that finish against Australia the other day. Wow. Most guys still have that ball just hanging on their foot. They can't even get that shot. I mean, it's just amazing what he does and how he creates his own little world with the football. He's just still above everybody for me. Still the best player in the world. He's the best player at the World Cup. But the best player in the World Cup right now is Kylian Mbappe, meaning what's going on game by game in this tournament. He's been the best. 
Messi is still the one who is the best player in the world. But Kylian Mbappe has been the best in this tournament. And, oh, man, you can't argue. But even Olivier Giroud, when he gets a chance, usually you're picking the ball out of the back of the net, right? Like that, These guys are just on a different level that way. And it's not, it doesn't always have to be the most clean goal. I mean, the Netherlands finishes against the U.S. were clinical, but they were also like set up on a golf tee for them. I mean, for crying out loud, it was like, it was like here, tap this little two-foot putt in. I mean, it was like, but I mean, Mbappe is just, wow, so special, so slick, so fast, so quick. And the speed of play is like, the closest thing to Messi in terms of speed of play is Mbappe. There's no doubt. He's not quite there with Messi, but... I mean, he's the best player as the tournament's been going on. I definitely agree with you. He should win the Golden Ball if it continues. Hey, anybody can fall flat on their face in one day, and then nobody will even remember you if you get knocked out in the round of eight, right? I mean, that's, who knows? So still a long way to go. But, yeah, I would agree with you. Mbappe's the best player in the tournament. Messi's the best player at the World Cup, if that makes sense, still. Now, the, Mbappe's catching up pretty quick, and he will be soon at that age. Yeah, he's so and he already has a World Cup. Yeah, he's already won. I mean, believe me, it's it's inevitable. It's not like he's too far behind either. But and it might be any day now if he wins another one here. So great stuff as always, Mario. Great show. It's Road to the Cup. You can hit the podcast wherever you podcast or go to ESPNLA's app if you want to do that. I am Dave Dunham. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Road to the Cup on ESPNLA.